I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to the Raptors Over Everything podcast for Yahoo Sports Canada. I'm your host, William Liu. Join me on the podcast, Big V, a.k.a. Big CBC. What's going on, man? Vivek, congratulations on your, uh, your new gig, man. Yo, thanks, man. I mean, I still freelance, so we'll see. We'll see what's good, and but I'm excited, man. It's gonna be a lot of cool content. Content I've never like worked towards covering an Olympics before, and fingers crossed that actually happens. But you know, there's obviously a lot of Olympians that we know about. But I'm looking forward to doing stories on the people that we don't know about and the people that we can look forward to if an Olympics happens. Yeah, man. Listen, I, I love that for you, man. I mean, first off, this is the happiest I've ever been to pay taxes, uh, <laughs> <laughs> knowing that it's going in your pocket, man. I mean, no, seriously, though. I mean, uh, it's. I think it's gonna be great. I'm really looking forward to it. Um, you know, you know, you always have done great co- work, and honestly, it's just like it's really heartwarming for me to uh, to see that sort of reflected. Um, you know, the CBC made a great move, so um, you know, look forward to your content there for. Uh, you know, for now, the focus is still on the Raptors, I guess, which um, I, I I mean, it's the training camp hasn't officially started. So they've flown down to Tampa. Seems like most people are pretty happy, although they don't have a place. They, the, apparently, they're staying out of the Marriott, something like that downtown. They're going to, like, try to make a practice court out of a ballroom, which, you know, the NBA did in the bubble. It's uh, it, yeah, it, it's it seems a little bit disorganized at the moment. I feel like everything obviously was last minute kind of planned. Um seems like the Raptors had to foot the bill for a lot of this, which is not great. I think the Raptors probably want the NBA to be chipping in with the money to do this, considering it wasn't like the Raptors chose to do this. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I mean, we'll get basketball one way or the other. So, so far, we've had a lot of uh, players talk to the media, um, you know, to date. And, you know, whether it was Fred, whether it was Norm, you know, whoever. Pretty much the whole team has spoken. Obviously, Kyle's going to go last because Kyle's – you know, hard to nail down, generally speaking. But uh, Pascal finally got to speak. And, uh, you know, this press conference took place on Thursday around noon. It was a fantastic press conference. I don't know about you, man, but I thought Pascal was, like, really open, transparent. And um, said I think he said a lot of things that um, made people kind of get back on his side if they weren't necessarily on his side before, you know? Yeah, and to your point, there was there was never really a real reason to get off his side, right? Like, this is a guy who's gone from having zero expectations. Like, I always go back to the quotes when he first got drafted and the comp being Bo Outlaw. And to go from that <laughs> to, you know, being in, and, and being in the G League to come into the bench mob, win most improved, become an all-star, all NBA second team, like, yeah, it sucked that he sucked in the series against the Celtics, but that was always going to be part of the growing pains of this season and throwing him, you know, into the fire of being the guy for the first time ever. And frankly, because 
Kawhi left and they had no choice but to do it. It's not like Kawhi left and they had a bunch of cap room to be like, okay, let's go get someone else to fill this void. It was like, no, we have no flexibility. So we're going to announce Stanley Johnson and then just hope Pascal can step up. And yeah, I, I think through the regular season, he did a great job. The bubble impacted players differently and he was on the low end of that spectrum in terms of the impact. And hopefully he'll take those lessons. That's the one thing we know he's done throughout his career. He takes lessons and he finds a way to get better because of them. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I, I think first off, Pascal has been open and transparent kind of throughout the whole thing, man. I mean, he's, I wouldn't say he's like necessarily that great of an interview per se, but um, he's always willing to be honest about himself. And I think he has a, a lot of self-awareness which I think he covered in this in this uh, press conference, which if you haven't seen it already, go on YouTube, search it. Um, I think, honestly, the, the full 18 minutes is pretty worth watching. Honestly, if you understand French, I mean, you know, maybe the whole 26 minutes is worth watching. I never know what he's... Maybe he's giving all these incredible quotes in French that I just, like, somehow don't understand because, you know, I uh, chose to skip out most of my grade 9 French classes. Um, <laughs> regrettably. Regrettably, I would say. Uh, but I think, okay, with the topic of Pascal, I think let's kind of go back to the bubble. And ask this question of what went wrong with Pascal Siakam in the bubble. Uh, as we know, um, his regular his eight seeding game uh, numbers. Well, he only played seven. He rested the last one uh, against Denver, obviously to allow Stanley Johnson and uh, Paul Watson to show that they are superstars. Um, but you know, seven games. You know, he was around seventeen points. You know, I think you and I were on this pod. We were talking. You know, like, oh, look, Pascal's going to turn it up. He's going to turn it on. That series, he turned it on occasionally, but there was times where he struggled a little bit. But for the most part, he did fine. And then the Celtics series came along, and that's where the trouble hit uh, with Pascal. He averaged less than 15 points per game in those seven games. Uh, he shot under 40% from the field. And honestly, because Pascal struggling so much offensively, that contributed to the Raptors struggling offensively. Raptors obviously still in the series. Very, very close series. Very, very close game seven. One possession game at the end. And the Raptors lost. Uh, and I think that's why, you know, people really, really got frustrated because you were so close. And um, so let's go back to that question. Like, in your opinion, what what specifically was wrong with Pascal in the bubble? I mean, he really couldn't hit his outside shot, right? And yeah. I think one thing that hurt him was during the regular season when he's able to hit that outside shot. Now you got to respect it. And that opens up his driving lanes and that opens up the floor in general uh, for him to even make plays for others. And so without that shot, people could sag off him and take away that drive. And then you look at his post-ups against Jalen Brown. That was a bad mismatch. Boston, you have to credit them as well, right? Like they're, they're a team that's kind of built to defend him well. And so I think he struggled with his handle as well. And I think part of that is just a guy who maybe – doesn't have quite the, the the reps that others have from playing the game since they're like, you know, six, seven years old. And he's only played it for seven years now. And so I think we saw some of that where the rust really hits him harder than others, where he's gone so long without playing the game. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I, I think all those things sort of factored in. And I, I think there is something to be said where he talks about needing to find that joy in the game uh, again as well, where maybe 
on some level, even though he said he doesn't read the criticisms and stuff like that. Maybe on some level it did get to him, right? And that's part of why maybe we didn't see any social media posts for a long while after the season ended. So I, I think all those things added up together to just make it a pretty terrible experience for him in the bubble. What about you? Yeah, I agree. I, I, it's, it's so hard to talk about the subject because it's hard to pin down one specific thing. Yeah. There's a lot of general struggles. I think he was pretty good defensively. I don't think anyone could knock that about his effort there. He played with a lot of effort. Um, a lot of his shots weren't falling. And I think really you could split into sort of um, kind of two buckets, right? One bucket being how much of it was circumstance. And obviously that could sound like an excuse, but honestly it's not. There was a global pandemic. And I think maybe now people are a little bit more relaxed. People kind of understand, okay, if I wash my hands, if I uh, don't congregate indoors, if I wear a mask, if I you know don't touch my face, if I use hand sanitizer, if I keep distance from people, people kind of have a better understanding now. Uh, many months into the pandemic of how to exist but back in like march and april like i i can't be alone in saying that i was like man i don't want to go outside going to the grocery mm-hmm. store was like mission impossible we knew nothing like yo we knew nothing right and people were the, and so people were stuck in their houses and in their uh homes and whatever right and i think for pascal that had to affect him because a he was in a condo right because you know so he didn't have the space to kind of go outside roam around even just you know be regular and I think the second thing is just, you know, the Raptors, okay, so they play their last game uh, start of March, right? They beat the Utah Jazz. Then they fly home. Um, and then the pandemic hit, season's over, at least for the time being. The the actual timeline of this thing, the, the facilities for the Raptors, the OVO Center didn't open until midway through March or, or th- through May. So that's like two and a half months. I'm assuming Pascal went into the training facility afterwards. But, of course, at that time, it was very, very difficult to go in. Stuff like that, you know. There was all these protocols, whatever. But at least it could only know, be one person at a time. Like, y- yeah, you had to like, basically go shoot time. around, and that was it, right? And like, people were asking questions about like, uh, you know, Coach Brittany Donaldson was was asking was answering about how you know you is it hard to rebound with gloves on? Is it hard to, uh, you know, run down all these rebounds with a, with a mask on? Um, you know, all the temperature checks, whatever, right? But the circumstances were legitimate. I, I think, I, and I don't blame him for that whatsoever. The fact that Pascal responsibly adhered to uh, the, the safety protocols is nothing that I will ever blame him for. Um, and one thing I want to add you here, know, circumstances are tough. one thing I just want to add here yeah. is during the two months, so between March and May, he said at the end of the season, after the playoffs were over, that he tried to get to the States. He tr- He tried and he had visa issues. Mm-hmm to get there. So he obviously recognized that, Hey, I can't go this long without playing ball. Like this is going to impact me. And he did everything he could to address the problem. And it just sucks that it didn't work out. Yeah. I mean, for sure. I mean, look, Pascal was obviously trained for most of his uh, professional life in the States, you know, whether it's in, uh, sometimes he lives in Orlando. Sometimes he obviously in LA, you know, I guess some players go to Vegas and stuff like that, but mostly LA and West coast and stuff like that. I don't imagine his agent was able to make the same arrangements in Canada or maybe doesn't have the same um, pull in Canada. Look, I'm not entirely sure, but um, regardless, there was a break. It was unavoidable. It's the circumstances, the realities of the world. I think a, that's, that's the thing. Number two. So Pascal mentioned briefly in his press conference that, you know, he brought up like, you know, family issues as well. I don't have no idea what's going on there. 
Hopefully everything's okay. You never want to hear something like that, regardless yeah. of how serious that might be. But he did bring that up himself as well. So I feel like that factors into the circumstances. So the circumstances were like legitimately bad. Okay. And then of course they go into the bubble and then they're contained again. And, and of course there's also everything else going on um, in terms of protests uh, for Black Lives Matter and everything like that. Um, the Raptors, you know, Masai himself, I, I remember listening to the Taylor Rooks um, interview that she did about her GQ piece with Zach Lowe and Taylor Rooks said that Masai talked to her and, and said, you know, Masai himself said we should have never come here. Mm-hmm. Right. And so that's also a huge circumstance as well. I'm not, and, and of course, none of this is exclusive to Pascal, but these are things that you cannot ignore. So that's that's one bucket. And then the other bucket is just like how much of it was just basketball? How much of it was a bad matchup against the Celtics? How much of it was uh, Pascal has a skill set that isn't refined enough yet to succeed against an elite defense like the Celtics in a playoff setting? And I think those questions are fair to ask. But I mean, I think the circumstances have to at least be acknowledged. Um, and then we can kind of focus on the basketball. You know what I mean? Yep. I, I And, you know, let's not forget that as bad as he was, I think one of the things a lot of people said towards the end of that series, it's like, man, why? Okay, he's struggling. Why is he getting the ball again and again and again? And it's because that was what the circumstances dictated. Like, Kyle Lowry was so fatigued after everything he gave in that series in that game seven. Fred Van Vliet wasn't gi- giving you anything. Um, obviously, Marcus All was a zero in that game. So, that was just the situation. And as you said, defensively, he was excellent, right? That's why he was part of those closing fives, uh, you know, that double overtime where they were able to win it. Obviously, he's playing in the lineup because of what he's giving the team defensively. So that's the most encouraging thing about Pascal. No matter what, his floor is so high because of what he can do defensively. And then if he can just take some of the lessons that uh, the harsh lessons that he's had to take from the bubble, I'm I'm expecting a big bounce back season from him here. Yeah, me too. And I and I think uh, you know when he looks back at some of these games, I think there's a lot of things that um, you know you can adjust to. And I think he talked about that a little bit in his press conference. You know, he kind of hesitated from like the you know obviously everyone's asked what did you work on the offseason stuff like that, and he, and he has been working on the offseason, which uh, as as Blake reported in his excellent piece on uh, uh, Paul Watson. Um, uh, that you know Pascal and and has been working with Rico Hines again in the summer in the uh, I guess it's not summer um, fall I guess but out in LA in his usual uh, ch- training habit I think UCLA was probably closed but they found another way to do it and safe and whatever mm-hmm. so okay that's good so you know um, yeah I mean I, and I think you know when he looks back on some of the actual just basketball skills right you know he talked about pull-up shooting, handling. Those are a lot of things that he really worked on. And I think those are exactly the kind of things that he's going to need to improve upon to succeed as a number one option um, in a playoff setting. Because I think he already did succeed in a regular season setting. Um, And, you know, I think when you zoom out, though, to the bigger picture of just like, you know, how Pascal received the criticism and sort of processed the whole thing. Because I think one thing that people kind of ignore is like the mental side of sports. These people are not robots. Um, you know, I think they, maybe they, some people can turn off social media and don't look, but you know, I'm, I'm sure it gets to them eventually people see it, people, you know, it's, it's their hobby. Basketball is their hobby. I'm sure they're consuming some of this content as well. They're seeing the reaction to it. They're seeing all the jokes made about them. And that's the mental side that I think Pascal was really trying to say in his press conference. Did you get that sense from him that he was really just 
without admitting it per se, that he just wasn't in the right mental space. And that I think he really worked on that more than anything else in the summertime as well. Yeah, no question. And he talked so much about having to rediscover that love for the game, right? I think sometimes when you're so deep into the process and everything becomes so much about, okay, I need to become this level of player. I need to be this. I need to be that. You kind of forget about that just passion of just playing. And I think Mm -hmm. that was the sense I got when he was talking about the press conference, when he was talking about uh, just finding the joy again in this presser. And some of that, again, you, you can't ignore the fact that there was there were no fans, right? And I think he might have looked back and said, you know, I got to be able to find that joy from within and, you know, find that, you know, that passion from within that keeps me going that, you know, every time... Uh, he he makes those Instagram posts and he, hashtags doing it for you. You know, I, I think that's what it's going to come down to for him, where it's going to be all about that internal passion that'll keep him going no matter what. And uh, as he said now, you know, just trying to keep the haters out and not paying attention to that stuff. Yeah, I really love, actually, I, I think that's a, the healthiest way to go about it. Um, you know, I mean, it's obviously a way different scale, but there is uh, a level of being uh, there, there is a level of being a public figure when you're in the media as well. And, you know, even for us, like we see like a minute fraction of what someone like Pascal would receive. But like, you know, you saw negative things and it would literally affect you and make you second guess. It sticks in your mind. I can remember many, many of the things that people said about me and probably same probably could be said for you as well. Um mm-hmm. And yeah, for Pascal, like that, that's, that is absolutely the most healthy way to go about it. Um, I loved what he said, essentially, which what he said was, if I listened to people, I would, I would never be where I am today. Right. And, um, you know, I, and when he said that, you know, I think some people might think of it as, okay, that seems a little bit arrogant to not listen to other people. That's not true. What he's trying to say is that like, he doesn't try to, he doesn't internalize what other people say about him. Um, in the sense that, you know, um, when people try to say where his career is going to go, what his ceiling is supposed to be, everything yeah. like that, he doesn't listen to that kind of stuff. Uh, he, he, what he listens to and what he trusts is the fact that he works. He always comes back to this idea that he um, takes a lot of pride in what he does in terms of his work and his work ethic. And he believes in that more than anything else, which I think is absolutely true. I think that's something that most people can, can be, can be uh, taking that lesson into their own lives. Um you know, and and again, Pascal is. I just admire the fact that he's not running away from any of this, right? Maybe it's because this stuff from Pascal is coming out at the same time. You have Paul George saying after, like months afterwards, after blowing through one lead, that okay, it's Doc Rivers' fault for not putting me in pick and rolls for some mm. reason, and that's the reason I'm losing. <laughs> and, and you know, like you contrast that with the way Pascal has has taken it on his chest and said many times that. You know, he's more disappointed in himself than anyone else could ever be. And that, you know, he is taking responsibility. You know, he even said right after the playoffs, I rewatched game seven, the post-game press conference. You know, he said, quote, I have to be better. I take a lot of blame. I, I wasn't able to help my teammates. Like, he isn't running away from it. And I think it's, I'm just really happy for him that he's, that he, there's a healthy process in which he's going about it because it could be very, very different, man. I mean, the, the man's in stress of being a professional athlete. Uh, it, it must be honestly unimaginable sometimes if you don't have some of these uh, safeguards up. 
Yeah, no question. And I think basically what this comes down to is the fact that Pascal, obviously we've seen him being able to make really high basketball IQ plays on the Mm -hmm. court. But off the court, I think his emotional intelligence is extremely high as well. And so so you look at the self-awareness when he's talking about these things and he's able to acknowledge his failures. That's a big part of why he's able to overcome them and become better. And then you look at being able to just, you know, step back, be introspective, understand why things are happening and say, okay, how do I take this on? How do I uh, combat these things so I can come back and be a better player, be a better person, all of those things. I think the maturity he has to sort of carry this franchise forward, uh, he has the desire. He's not, again, as you said, he's not shying away from any of it. And he wants to be the franchise player. If he can get to that level, fantastic. We're all rooting for him to do that because there are frankly not many guys in this league that you would rather root for than Pascal Siakam. And I think that's the biggest thing that stands out to me. His uh, just emotional understanding of everything that's happening around him is what allows him to sort of overcome obstacles and be the best he can be on the court and off the court. Yeah. And listen, man, that takes a lot of strength. That takes a lot of maturity. It takes a lot of grace to, um, to, again, reflect on, you know, um, your own sort of shortcomings mm-hmm. in a in a healthy way that moves you forward. And that doesn't keep you stuck in one place. And that keeps you, it doesn't make you run from the problem, you know? I, and again, like you see the the comments Paul George makes, or like even like a James Harden, you know, I remember a couple of years ago when, um, you know, they lost to the, <laughs> they, they lost to the, uh, the Warriors for the umpteenth time. And, you know, he says, you know, I know exactly what we need to do in a press conference after game seven. And, and essentially he's talking about trading Chris Paul. And it's like, you know, like a lot of players run away from that, man. And I really do appreciate that from Pascal. Um, yeah. And I think it's also important to know, like, not necessarily to put yourself in Pascal's shoes. You cannot do that, really. But if you see it from his perspective, at least a little bit, right? He is, um, professionally speaking, like he has been on like this crazy upward trajectory ever since he came into the league you know um 27th pick overall a lot of mock drafts had him second round like he wasn't expected that he was going to be taken 27th yeah that's a win goes to the d league wins finals mvp wins the championship that's a win he starts right away as a rookie obviously the circumstances but still that's ultimately a win then he emerges in the bench mob it's a win then 2019 he wins most improved player he wins uh you know the uh the championship you know that's an absolute huge win going to that offseason he signs for 150 million dollars that's absolutely i mean let's not forget him and Kawhi combined for like what was it the second highest points total as a duo and it was just behind like lebron and d wade right i think it's tied with mj and scotty or the other (laughs) way around i'm not sure like come on yeah yeah would ever imagine that for pascal siakam Exactly, right? So he's been on this upward trajectory this whole time. And even in last season, it's his first year on the on the job as like the number one go-to star option. Ring Knight, he has what, 34 and 18? Mm. <laughs> um, then he goes to the All-Star game as a starter. He uh, is named All-NBA to the second team. Everything was fantastic career-wise, right? And so... You know the the playoffs and this this the COVID shutdown was such a huge adjustment for him. 
and again, you do worry about sort of how a player can respond to that, right? Because it is such a weird thing mentally to adjust to that. Imagine, you know, like it's just for me, like, I mean, it's not the same thing, but it's like, you know, I did really well in high school. Then I went to university and it was like a huge step up. And it was like the courses were much harder. I couldn't really, the circumstances were much different. Couldn't really control the same way myself, the same way I could before. And it like put me in a, like a really depressing place to, to get out of that. And it took me a while to get out of that and whatever, I'm past that. But, um, you know, in, in a similar way, I think for Pascal, like, you know, there is some worry that, you know, um, that he can sort of get stuck in that place because everything went right for him one for four years. And then one thing happened. Um, but you know, I, I'm just very proud of the fact that he's. Um, I'm really happy for him. He just sounds really mature. He sounds like he really worked on his mental health. Um, and and that honestly, Pascal still feels very real. You know what I mean? Because a lot of superstars, like they're almost detached from reality the way they live. Yeah. Uh, because of the limelight, because of the money involved, because of the the fame and everything like that. And Pascal really just feels like a genuine, like honest goodness. Like I, I feel in like. I feel like I would know Pascal, you know what I mean? In, mm. in a way that you would never know like a Kawhi Leonard, for example. And I think that is like really cool to root for someone to see him grow and, and you know, be on along this journey. I, I, you know, I'm a big fan, obviously. Yeah, he's, he's so well grounded, right? Like right from the beginning, we've seen how important his brothers, his family uh, have been to him. That is something that has continued throughout. Like think about that open gym video where he's in the elevator with his brother and, Mm. you know, and I think it was Christian, but he's like, Hey, not just an all-star, you're, you're an all-star starter. And he's like, Oh, there's a difference. And he's like, yeah, there's a difference. And and, you know, that love, that bond that you see there, like, that's not going to change. You look at the way he interacts with Fred consistently and the consistent love that he's shown for Jacoberto, like that relationship is still there. So he's someone I feel like no matter what his relationships with his core group is never going to change. And I think Mm -hmm. that's always going to keep him who he is. And those are the type of people that are the easiest to root for because they, you know, they're not, they're not looking for that, you know, that, that quick hit, that quick rise to fame. They're all about the real stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm, I'm honestly like Pascal being like this, the littlest brother, I think like in his family, I think. Right. Like, mm-hmm. I, I think that, I think that helps in a way in some of these things, you know, you've been, you've been humbled at a young age and you have like <laughs> four more brothers who are all like wildly successful in their own right before you, you know, come along and, you know, I mean, let's be real, become more successful than the rest of them. But no, there's, a, though, I mean, there's a lot of discipline, right? Like if you're going oh, to yeah. school to, to try and become uh, a priest, like that <laughs> is a lot of discipline that's being drilled into you. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I think, I, I think he's had a, a lot of good values instilled in him and it's good to see that it's continuing to this day and hopefully uh, for the rest of his life. Yeah, exactly. Um, but moving over to the basketball side, I, I think I want to do. I do want to ask you this question: of what What do you think we should expect reasonably from Pascal this season? Obviously, a big spotlight is going to be on him. Um, he hired weight trainers, a personal training trainer, uh, a chef, and nutritionist. You know, um, so he's worked on the the, the 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 physical, and of course, he's also worked on his mental health as well, which is obviously incredibly important. Both things equally important. Um, 
What do you think we should expect from Pascal this year, man? You know, I've been thinking about this, and the Pascal I want to see is actually the Pascal we saw in those final few games right before COVID hit. Okay. Do, you, okay. do you remember those games where he was going up against uh, the Utah Jazz, the Sacramento Kings, the Golden State Warriors, and we know what he can do uh, from a scoring standpoint, but to be that number one guy, it's about how you make your teammates better, right? Like you, you sort of get yours to, to the point where the defense has to respect you. And then it's about being able to create really good opportunities for everyone else around you. And in those games, if you go and go back and watch them, the way he was creating for his teammates, it was the perfect floor game. Like he was recognizing the doubles as soon as they came, kicking it out. It, Norm was hitting big shots. Fred was hitting big shots. Kyle was getting in on the action. And that is the type of Pascal that I'm trying to see this season. Yeah, come out, show that you can do damage with the ball in your hands. But when those doubles come, when those uh, sort of that weak side help comes, be ready to tee up your teammates. And uh, that's what I'm really hoping to see. Yeah, I mean, I, I think in particular that last game before um, uh, they came back from the road trip, uh, Pascal, 27 points, 11 rebounds, 8 assists against the Utah Jazz. You know, you've made a number of great plays in that stretch. But, um, yeah, the career high 8 assists. I mean, honestly, the passing is going to be something that's really key for him um, because, obviously, I think what we saw this past season was that he came out of the gates, house on fire, dominated everybody. I mean, it was, it was hilarious. Right? He was legitimately awesome. And I think teams decided, you know what? We're double teaming this guy. We're, mm-hmm. we're sending double teams at him all the time. We're going to trap him. We're going to scout him. We're going to specifically game plan. He's number one on the board in terms of what teams watch out for and, and shoot around and walkthroughs before the game, everything like that. And that was a big major adjustment for him because I think if – and if he uh, adjusted the way that most players would in that situation, you would see an uptick in assists. And you just didn't really see that for a lot of the season. And I think, as you mentioned, towards the end of that stretch, then you saw the assists coming up. in that road trip, you know, five-game road trip with the Raptors, obviously shorthanded over that stretch. Um, but, you know, uh, five assists against Denver, three assists against Phoenix, five assists against Golden State, five assists against Sacramento, eight assists against Utah. I mean, the assist is not necessarily, like, specifically the be-all, end-all. Sometimes you're getting the hockey assist. But I-, I just thought that the ball movement, he needs to create for others a little bit more because I think... To be honest, he can get his shot decently well, especially in the regular season. But a really effective primary uh, scorer needs to be able to uh, flip that attention on other people and create for others when when he has a chance. And I mean, um, I don't know. I think that probably just comes with experience, right? Like, there's, I don't really know how much studying the game you can really do to just become a better passer. I think you need to feel your way through those situations, make mistakes. And I believe in Pascal to be able to do it, man, because, oh, listen, there's going to be double teams coming at him next season. And I'm expecting him to sort of, uh, I don't know. Is it unreasonable for him to average five assists, you think, with how much he has the ball? Huh, I, I, no, I mean, I, I would say, you know, let's see him get into like that three and a half, four range, and then we, he can build off of that. But, 
yeah, I think five is maybe pushing it a little bit. That would be dependent on how much OG Ananobi has grown, how, how much uh, that screen setting is really a fact, factor uh, with Aaron Baines because he's someone that opens up a lot of space and he'll be doing that for Kyle and Fred. So uh, how the, how the f- floor sort of opens up. And guess what? B- B- Baines is going to be shooting the rock uh, a lot more than Marcus All from deep, right? So if, if Baines can knock down a couple of triples off those kickouts from Pascal, I think that helps nicely. I think mm-hmm. five is... An optimistic goal, but why not? I, th- I think he can do it. Uh, I'd be really happy if he's able to do that. That, w- that would be a significant uh, step forward for him and his game. But yeah. Yeah, because I, I think stylistically, like he-, he is operating a lot like not the exact same like brute force as someone like Giannis does, but like like a huge, like a big wing. Um, mm-hmm. And and Giannis for his career, he's at four point three assists per game, which always feels really low to me. But um yeah, I mean Giannis the last few years hovered around five. I I, I could see Pascal getting there, man. And I think even with the Giannis thing, like he, his turnovers, he's actually kind of a turnover prone player. If you look at it, I mean, uh what last season five point six assists to three point seven turnovers. You know, Jose Calderon is blushing right there, seeing that number. Come on, man. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but no, I mean, like, you know, and Pascal turns it over a little bit too. I think they run into the same issues in terms of they don't know necessarily how to break down a situation. And sometimes they force the issue, take offensive fouls and stuff like that. But, you know, again, he's just, he has the ball a lot. I I can expect him, you know, getting better in terms of playmaking. And I think a lot of that is just, if you run pick and roll, you're going to get a lot of assists. Like most of the top assist guys in the league run pick and roll. You really don't get that many assists if you don't run pick and roll, unless you're Draymond Green swinging the ball to the Splash Brothers. Um, and so, yeah, if Pascal works in the pull-up shooting, if he works on the, the handle, gets into the pick and roll a little bit more, I can see a lot more uh, assists being made that way. But, man, I'm expecting big things, man. I'm expecting big things. And I think, you know, um, it's not unreasonable to do. You, uh, my last question about this is, how much small ball center do you think Pascal's going to be playing? Uh, not a whole lot. I really don't think he's going to play that much center. I think OG is going to play a, a lot more center than he does. And we saw, I think there's a more natural fit for him there. I just want to quickly touch on the assist thing. And it, it, because we talked about how his three-point shot dropped off in the bubble. And his outside shooting is going to have an impact on the assist he gets. Because again, you start hitting that outside shot again. Defenders are going to have to respect that. And the tighter they play you, the more open your teammates are going to be. So that outside stroke really needs to return uh, for him to have that playmaking go up another notch, I think. But yeah, I think when you look at Pascal as a big, there's going to be maybe a few opportunities here and there. But I would expect between OG and uh, Baines and... Lynn, and even maybe a little bit of Chris Boucher. I'd, I'd be surprised if Pascal sees that much time at the five. What about you? I mean, I, I think it, it specifically depends on how some of these bigs uh, fit with the Raptors. I think it'll be fine, but I mean, I don't know, man. You know, Nick was also willing to bench like Serge and Mark um, in that in that Celtic series in some of the right. most important moments. Like that entire fourth quarter of the game seven, you know, no, uh, no centers, you know, the entire fourth quarter plus the first and the second overtimes, no centers, I believe. So, yeah. 
but that's the thing right is uh, that's that's still og being at the five right like realistically in terms of how they were actually running their sets where og was operating defensively it looked like og was actually playing the five right oh yeah well, he was the one that was on, you know, Baines or not Baines. Sorry, uh, can't, uh, Tice. Tice, right, right. It, sorry. It, they're all the same. Oh. Blake. <laughs> I mean, they're all, they're all, yeah. <laughs> the Celtics definitely have a type for sure. Um, but you know, I, I think maybe that's the question to be asked. Then, who do you think is more effective if they were to go small ball in in terms of who would play center? Because I think Pascal naturally is is kind of a big man. So mm. you would make a little bit more sense, but honestly, OG showed a lot there. Like, um, you know, in that Celtics series, I'm looking at the rebounding numbers: game one, seven rebounds; game two, seven rebounds; game three, ten; then three, seven again; thirteen, and then seven. So, I mean, you know, this man was averaging like what um, eight rebounds a game, seven point seven rebounds per game in that Celtics series. Maybe OG is the better center um, in that role. What do you? What, what I mean. Does it really matter to you, A, and B, like, uh, how would you play it if you were, uh, if you were uh, boy genius Nick Nurse? <laughs> I mean, I'll definitely take some of that money, that Nick Nurse money. Uh, <laughs> but with OG, I think he's shown me enough where I honestly believe his most effective positions are the three and the five. I think... Interesting. Okay. In the time that he's had at the four, I think that's the one spot he has actually struggled with. And I think part of that is because it's the one position that kind of takes away his best advantages. Because at Mm. the four, most of the guys are quick enough to stick with him and the strength advantage is negated. At the three, he has the strength advantage. At the five, he has the quickness advantage. We've seen in the bubble, how when Biggs would get switched on to him on the perimeter, he would be able to take them off the bounce, use that spin move, or sometimes even kick it out. Um, and then with those rebounds, like the number of times he was able to have that second jump, third jump, just tip oh, it to yeah. himself. I think those are the advantages that he has at the five that maybe, especially with Pascal's length, especially when he's defending up top on the perimeter, obviously OG has those advantages as well. Mm-hmm. I think uh, Pascal is sort of better suited uh, to maybe chase some guys around while OG pr- protects the back end. Yeah. Uh, by the way, speaking when you when you said the the OG second jump tap outs, you know, keeping the ball alive, some of that. All I can remember is remember that rebound he had against the Nets. Whatever it was, the Nets. But this man had five guys on him. Do you remember yeah. that? Yeah, he he jumped up, got the rebound over three guys. Then did the spin move to beat one the fourth defender. Then dunked on the fifth defender at the rim. That was like <laughs> eye opening stuff. I'm like, I just you just rarely see that man a guy yeah. beating all five defenders. You know, it's a uh, you know. So Diego I want to see Mar- more of it. Diego man. Maradona versus uh, England. Oh. <laughs> rest in peace diego rest in peace man rest in peace man a legend bro um yeah so look i, I you know i i do believe the raptors will close small just a little bit more because I, I, I a i think it probably is advantageous for them to do so i think there might be more of a need to get offense on the floor and i think you just will get more offense from um from norm than you would from uh, whichever center you put out there, but at the same time, like I think it also depends. Like if some of these centers come that comes in fit amazingly well and take their game to the next level, 
then yeah, of course you would close games with them too. But um, I mean, either way, it's nice to have that flexibility. That's one of the huge advantages of having OG and Pascal is that like you know you have you can do pretty much whatever you want with the lineup. Um, you know, I mean, obviously, but when Mark is you know surgery here, sometimes it will go super big ball. But OG at two, right? So you know, and you have two guards who are very capable post defenders. That too. That really helps, man. That really helps. I look, I think the Raptors dug me really good, man. I think people are sleeping on them. I just did a pod where I was looking at Vegas win totals. The Vegas had them at forty one and a half wins. Hey man, that's it. Been there, done that. Just cash that money oh. out. It's been seven years. They won fifty three games last year. Also in seventy two games, by the way. So that's direct comparison. Fifty three games. They dropped them to forty one and a half, man. Mm. Well, I just I I don't know who they thought Serge and Mark were. I love those guys, but losing your fifth and sixth best players is not dropping you eleven and a half wins, especially in an injury prone season as it was last year too. So, come on, guys, let's get it together, man. You make some free money if you want. Um, Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Uh, in terms of other stuff, uh, speaking of uh, Serge Ibaka, so Serge, uh, unfortunately, is now with the Clippers. Uh, you know, he did his uh, Clippers introductory press conference, talked at length about Toronto and some of that. Some of the quotes were, I don't know. I mean, first off, let me get your thoughts on it, actually. W- what were your thoughts? What were your feelings when uh, when Serge decided to, uh, to sign with the Clippers? Because people are devastated, man. Yeah, people are really, really hurt. Um you know, the comments I thought were pretty interesting. Mm, from, definitely interesting. <laughs> from the standpoint of him maybe expecting more money. That's the yep. impression I got right off the mm-hmm. top. And obviously something that seemed to frustrate him was the fact that the Raptors were waiting on Marcus All to figure out, you know, to see if there was an avenue to give Serge more money. And Serge obviously didn't seem to take to that too well and decided to move on. I think the Raptors, we know what the priority is. It's 2021, having that cap space, and they have built up towards that for several seasons now. And they weren't just going to throw it away in one offseason. And so I think they stuck to their guns. They stuck to their plan. And it just didn't work out. I think, you know, it would be unfair to say that Serge needed to maybe check his ego and be okay with them still prioritizing Mark. Because let's face it, he did it over and over for Mark for a couple of years. And yep. uh, 
he swallowed his pride and helped the Raptors win a ring. And last year, again, even with Mark's struggles, he gave the Raptors a career season. So I can completely understand why he's saying, hey, man, like, like, bro, what, what, what are you, <laughs> when are you going to, when are you going to put me first? Yeah. And I think in free agency, everyone wants to be put first. Yeah. And the Clippers did put him first. They just had less to offer, but mm-hmm. sometimes maybe being uh, put first means a little bit more than what the money specifically means. I mean, it's tough, man. When you hear the comments, I, I think absolutely it was a money thing. Um, and it's probably a respect thing. The re- reports were that the Raptors offered one year, 12 million, which if you're Surge, that is, that would be slightly disrespectful because A, it's a big pay, uh, um, pay cut. It's half his salary from what it was before. Whatever. I mean, you know, that was a contract signed at a different time. We get it, right? But at the same, it's still half the, the paycheck. And it's only one year. So they're really not saying we really believe in you. They're just saying, can you take this money and just hold us for next year? Right? At least the Clippers gave him the second year of the player option as well. Um, but it's still two guaranteed years. Uh, and then, as, as you mentioned, the Mark thing, you know, and of course, Serge did so much for the franchise. But, you know, ultimately, the Raptors front office, they kind of decided to move on. But from Serge's perspective, he said, <laughs> essentially, told, like, telling every Clipper fan, well, if there are any, that uh, he wanted to come back to the Raptors. The whole time he wanted to come back to the Raptors. He said he didn't even, he, he didn't even think he was going to go anywhere else, right? And, yeah. Um, he was like, okay, you know what, Freddie gets, gets, the, gets the first priority. You know, he, he, was, he understood that. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the Raptors just came in and, you know, that number probably just surprised him, which actually that surprised me a little bit too. You would have just thought that the Raptors would have communicated that to him earlier in the process. I mean, I'm of course, Raptors are... You know, not the Bucks. They weren't trying to tamper with like that. But at the same time, feels like throughout the course of the season, you can kind of maybe discuss like, hey, what 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 are the expectations going to next year? You're a free agent, but you know, here's what we want. Where we're at. This is how much we want to offer you. I feel like that could have been communicated uh, in yeah. a way where Serge wasn't necessarily just like surprised when they sat down together during mm-hmm. free agency. But it is what it is, man. It is what it is. Uh, I mean, let's face it, the Raptors at this point, we know they're very much an organization that can leave their emotions, uh, at the door when uh-huh. it comes down to business and Hey, if they, if they could, uh, trade tomorrow to do what they thought was best for the organization and come away with, with the title for it. And now if they think these decisions in the off season are going to make them better in the long term or give them the best chance at being better in the long term, then you got to trust that they have their instincts uh, in the right place as well. Yeah, for sure. I would never doubt the front office um, because they have given us really no reasons to doubt them. Uh, and yeah. And I think honestly, the most important thing is just like, you know, good memories, man. And I think Serge, Obviously, he, he gave a really long, like, thank you post. Um, he didn't necessarily need to do that, but I think it came from the heart. Yeah. He loves Toronto. He was very comfortable here. He vibed with the city. We know exactly how much he embraced it, and I love that. And, of course, he showed a lot of appreciation uh, to the franchise, to the fans, obviously, like that. And listen, man, I mean, when, when time moves on and everything like that, we're going to forget about this specific thing, and all we're going to remember is the 2019 championship, what Serge did. Uh, I want Honestly, the Raptors do a great job of bringing old players back. Like 15 years from now, I want Serge Ibaka to come to the, you know, whatever center the Raptors are playing in 
and getting a huge ovation because he deserves it, you know, and I, and I hope that love is always going to be there. And I think from Surge, there was no hard feelings, which is great. That, that, that At least yeah. that is a step up from what, what happened with DeMar. Yeah. And even with DeMar, it seems like he's, you know, uh, I think he's kind of over it now too, so. Yeah, he gave he gave Masai that big old hug, and I mean, hey, I, I wouldn't rule out a return for for all we know. The next time the Raptors are actually playing back at the Scotiabank Arena, who knows? Maybe Serge is wearing a Raptors uniform. <laughs> <laughs> like if we, he won't even get it, you know that uh, that sort of uh, farewell appreciation because he might be back before you know it. Mm. Uh, so you know, it, it, we'll see how these things play out, and with Serge. You know, so many good memories. I think you and Alex had that great episode just looking back on all the great memories and all the great moments he's had with the franchise and just interacting with the fans. And you guys brought up that great story where we were at his charity foundation and he talked about his come up from all the way from the time he was a child. Yeah. Uh, Bro, that speech was great, man. That speech was incredible. Yo. Yeah. You you know what's hilarious? I do you remember when it came time for the bidding, and there was this guy, uh, Vinay Vermani, the guy who's now with like yeah. Uninterrupted Canada, and the uh, Ajay Vermani's son from Cargo Jets. He was bidding on a bunch of shit. Oh yeah, yeah. And you kept hearing Vinay as Vivek. And you came, you came over to me, and you were like, "Yo, well, you know, you don't got that money, man. You, you don't need to do this." <laughs> oh, damn, damn! I forgot about that. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> yo, I mean, honestly, yeah, the bids were getting up there, man. Also, shout out Superfan. That guy was work. You could tell that man was a yeah. salesman. Yeah, <laughs> he he got onto the like the I don't know the microphone, I guess, for the the bidder or whatever. Yeah. Like, he was just he was working them for that extra like five hundred. But honestly, it was all towards a you know charitable foundation. It was great. Yeah. My my favorite memory from that night is um so the Raptors brought in a whole bunch of like uh stuff to auction off, like you know, like a paraphernalia, stuff like that. One mm-hmm. very unique thing that, that that was brought in for available for auction was uh, assistant coach Patrick Montumbo. His one of his hobbies is painting. Yeah. And so he painted this thing and it was a really good painting. Um, but like there was a bidding sheet and I looked at the bidding sheet. It was kind of empty. You know, I'm, I'm sorry, Patrick, I, I don't want to flame you like this. It was a really good painting, but you know, it, it was kind of empty. And then I, and one name was on the, on the sheet at the end of the night and one person walked away with it. It was Nick nurse who paid $300 for that painting, man. That's just a great yep. move as a boss. Honestly, like salute Nick for doing that. That's such a kind move. And that painting is in Nick nurse's office. So like he really, really took that thing. So, um, I remember that. I remember that. That was really yeah. cool. I really respect the Nick for that. It's such a small gesture, but um, yeah, that was a great night, man. I mean, again, Serge was a great dude. A lot of great vibes around him. Everyone talked about how much they, they you know, were surprised that he left. Um, and I think Serge himself was surprised that he left. But listen, man, he's with the Clippers. It is what it is. He's going to be making uh, How Hungry Are You with uh, Patrick Patterson. I'm going to be disgusted and uh, not watch that video. But, you know, it is what it is. Uh, in terms of the other uh, Raptors media day kind of news items, um, I'll just race through them in terms of what I thought was the most interesting for some of these these interviews. So mm-hmm. today, Alex Len spoke to the press uh, 30 minutes early, which uh, led a lot of people to not catch that live. Yeah, I missed um, it. <laughs> unfortunately, they said 2.30 and he came on at 2.20 or something like that. So, you know, whatever. But uh, apparently Alex Len, so fun fact, he he loves to play with nunchucks. Okay. Is there a story behind this? Is he inspired uh, by Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles? 
<laughs> I don't know, man, but uh, this seven-footer who loves to play with nunchucks, yeah, apparently he left them behind in Atlanta. Um, so, yeah, I'm not totally sure, but, yeah, he uh, is loves to play with nunchucks. I mean, listen, you, you got to have hobbies, and that, that could be a hobby. But, uh, yeah, yeah, otherwise, Alex Len is just excited to make the playoffs. He is... He's gone 475 games, I believe, without making the playoffs in his career. So uh, I think it's important we talk, talk about that because I think that's a very underrated thing for the Raptors franchise. We, we've just come to sort of normalize their excellence. But mm-hmm. you think about Rondé Hollis-Jefferson last year uh, choosing Toronto, uh, Stanley Johnson, uh, you know, Obviously, they're not marquee names, but what's the first thing they say in terms of why they come to Toronto? It's like, this is a team that wins. This is a team that is known for their development. And that's a huge factor. And to be able to just know that the whole league is aware of that, and Mm. those are factors that play into your hands, into your advantage, I I think... That's something that we really should commend this organization for because they've created a competitive advantage for, for themselves when in the past, obviously, there were so many negative things being said about this organization. And you think about Bobby Webster when he was talking about Mark and Serge saying in, another, in a different world, we would have brought them both back. I think on some level, he's saying that not being in Toronto actually hurt them because you think about Serge, you know, how much he loves Toronto and wasn't able to be here. You think about Mark having moved his family from Memphis to Toronto mm. and got, got enrolled his kids in school and everything, you know, they, on some level, they would have also said, Hey, if I'm going to get, have to uproot and uh, change my life again, I might as well consider my options. Yeah, definitely, man. Yeah. I'm thinking that's a big consideration. And uh, I just, honestly, I hope, you know, for, okay. First off, yeah, I, I, I completely agree, man. Winning uh, rewards winning, and you see this across all sports, at least all team sports. When you have that reputation as a franchise that wins, um, people want to come to you, not only because they're competitive and they want to win, but also because when you win, those players get rewarded and they leave with bigger contracts, right? And I'll mm-hmm. say you need to put out this like huge free agency pitch for Alex Len to sign it for the minimum. I'm not, I'm, <laughs> I don't even know if they prepared like a giant brochure or anything like that, but... Um, you know, you can point to things like, yo, Bismarck Biabo came here for a year. And he walked out with a massive contract, right? Uh, Rondé came here. He got another contract. Uh, you know, pl- you know, Mark and Serge, obviously those are great players anyway before, but like players have come to Toronto, made a career. DeLon Wright came to Toronto, was drafted to Toronto, left. He's he's now, you know, set in the NBA, stuff like that. Jakob Pertl just signed a new contract. He was from the Toronto Raptors. Like that's pretty important too, man. Because Fred and Pascal. You- Redden Pascal, absolutely, right? So, what, what you know, that development point is there. And, again, if you win, you're, people are always going to want to take players from winning teams. Like, you know, look at how long some of these guys had. I mean, look, we just got Aaron Baines. Part of the reason Aaron Baines has an NBA career is because he was with the uh, with the Spurs. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the Spurs have been doing it forever. So, look, when And Baines, win- again, he's another guy who said Toronto's winning made, made it kind of a no-brainer in terms of wanting to be here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So... Um, Alex Len, you know, interesting dude, I, I guess, uh, the nunchucks thing. Uh, DeAndre Bembry, uh, another very short interview, um, but I thought it was really uh, cool that he wears number 95 to uh, honor his, uh, his 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 late brother who was born in 1995. Um, I believe 
I, I don't want to, I don't know the specifics, so I don't want to get into it, but I think that's actually a really cool uh, jersey number and a reason to uh, to honor, um, a, a, just a really cool way to honor his uh, his family. Um, yeah, Norm, initially I thought he was trying to start beef with the Raptor. Oh, yeah. Well, listen, man, the Raptor might just have to give that up for at least a second, or maybe the Raptor can just wear a DeAndre Bembry jersey for the year. Are, are, is By the way, do we have any reporting that the Raptor himself is going to Florida? That is a good question. Damn. Because, I mean, I hope so, but I don't know, man. Maybe the Raptors got like, you know, little uh, Raptor eggs to take care of in Toronto. It doesn't, he's not yeah. prepared to, uh, to you work never know. remotely. You, you never know, man. We need that. We need that reporting. So whoever knows that about the Raptor, please, uh, please let me know. Uh, Norm, uh, Norm was chill. You know, he uh, mostly just wanted to get his understand the grind gear into the camera shot. <laughs> So salute to him, man. I mean, if you're going to buy some, uh, you know, understand the grind con- uh, shirts, go for it. Um, nothing really Norm, Norm said that was that noteworthy, quite honestly. But uh, he did was he was asked about the Christmas games and whether that was disrespect. And Norm, honestly, it's actually really refreshing for him to just be like, are people surprised? Like, this is just what it is. And, and I think Norm has really gone full circle between like, at first it was like, yeah, it's, you know, we demand a Christmas game. We demand respect to now he's with all the other Raptor fans and understanding that the Raptors are just going to be overlooked for these things. And he's moved on and he doesn't care about it anymore. So some of these guys have just legit become Toronto man's. Oh, Norm is absolute bro. This man did an Osmos commercial. Right? <laughs> <laughs> like uh, this guy's come a long way since Corey Joseph was driving him around, you know, yeah. in a Ford commercial showing him uh, the CN tower. Like they Lake genuinely Hunter. grown to love this city, right? And I think that's part of why fans feel hurt that Surge isn't around anymore, right? And the way he embraced the city, the culture, everything. It, it, and, and obviously winning the championship just strengthens that bond. So like Surge, yeah. Fred, Norm, Pascal, OG, like obviously Kyle's at the top of the list. Uh these guys are going to be beloved forever. Yeah, definitely. Um, Aaron Baines said uh, Nick Nurse wants him to be more aggressive with his offense. So, okay, cool. I'm interested to see. Honestly, Aaron Baines, low-key, last year, averaged 12 points per game in 24 minutes. That's not bad. Or in, you know, I, yeah, that's, that's, that's not bad. Uh, Chris Boucher, you know, he admitted that he he needs to be a little bit more consistent. Uh, but obviously, you know, he, he got the big deal, a, a big opportunity Excited to see. I've already hopped on the Chris, Bain, uh, Chris Boucher um, uh, propaganda train. I'm starting it this year. Look, I got to make amends. And I've already brought up that last year in 11 games where Chris played more than 20 minutes, in those um, in, the, in those 11 games, he averaged 17 points per game, eight rebounds. He shot 53% from the field, 44% from three, had a steal, two blocks. And the Raptors went nine and two, including some many wins against playoff opponents. Mm. That is the start of the Chris Boucher propaganda train. I'm rooting for Chris this year, rooting for him to succeed. And then lastly, maybe the one that drew the most ire, Nick Nurse uh, talked about the whole thing. And then he also mentioned that uh, Pat McCaw is still, he mentioned Pat McCaw is still a a core piece of the uh, rotation, which I don't know, man. Are you surprised? No, not at all. (laughs) You you probably miss Pat McCaw more than anyone in the bubble. I'm surprised he didn't ever mention that you know Raptors. Uh, you know they were so close against the Celtics, and if they just had Pat, <laughs> like I'm surprised he didn't say that. I'm just saying, man, this man loves Pat McCaw. Yeah, you know what? That's a fair point, man. 
It is pretty surprising that he didn't say anything like that. <laughs> well, you know, McCaw did have the best game of his career against the Celtics last year. Let's be real. It's true, man. The real Christmas game. The real Christmas. Exactly. <laughs> no, no. Listen, the real Christmas for people who don't, who aren't necessarily Christian is uh, you, you go buy what you need on Boxing Day. So that's what the Raptors did. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so yeah, so that's, uh, that's all there is with the Raptors at the moment. We'll, we'll see. Hopefully we hear from Kyle soon. I'm very interested to hear everything in terms of where he's at. Uh, you know, I'm not saying there's like uncertainty with Kyle, but just remembering how last preseason went, I just hope there's not the same, um, level of uncertainty with Kyle. Hopefully there isn't. I'm, but you know, it would just always be good to hop on a zoom call and talk to uh, Kyle Lowry and hear him, uh, banter with reporters but last thing before we go man i gotta get your thoughts uh united on the verge of uh potentially missing out on the round of 16 um after hey, uh, hey, hey. after uh what, what what would you say that performance was against psg i would say they actually played well they just uh you know you guys you guys have a unserious manager to quote uh the great nigerian scams on, on <laughs> yeah man they, they played well but that was just a tactical blunder. It was extremely naive to not take Fred off. And then he gets a red card and it's pretty much game over after that. So, yeah, just a shitty, shitty result that you said puts a lot of pressure onto that final game. But they still need a point. They need a point. It's not like they got to go to Germany and beat Leipzig. So, And they beat them 5-0 in the first matchup. So... I was going to say, you, I mean, so what, what is your level of concern in general with United? I'm not, I'm not too concerned. I'm not too concerned. I think that, and let's face it, if we're being real, this season so far, they played a lot better away from home than at home. So mm. in some ways, it might be a good thing that they have to go to Germany to play Leipzig. So yeah, I'm, I'm not too concerned. They should take care of business. It sucks that the it's going to be tough for them to finish first. I think that's the thing that frustrates me a lot is the fact that giving up that third goal means they now have lost that tiebreaker to PSG. So Mm -hmm. as long as PSG beat Istanbul, which you would expect to happen, they're going to finish first now. United, if they had beat Leipzig and not conceded that third goal, then they'd be first. So that sucks from that standpoint because obviously you finish second, you're going to face some pretty tough teams in the next round. But, yeah, I mean, it, getting to the next round would be progress. For where United's been, it'll be progress. Damn. Damn. I mean, hey, we're talking about a, a Champions League finalist and semifinalist from last year. Being That's true. Group. Although, you know, PSG has some suspect performances. I'm not going to lie to you. It's, it's really weird watching that team. Um, they are weird. Cons- as, they're just so strange, man. And they, 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 I mean, they do flop more than any other team on earth. <laughs> Yo, it killed me it's watching that game. Unbelievable. Like, and I, I love Neymar because I'm like, he's probably like, he's skill wise, the flair, everything is fantastic. I mean, I thought he had an incredible game against. I mean, what he did tonight. for that third goal was ridiculous. What he did for all three goals, man. I mean, I, he, he was, he, I mean, he should have scored like two, like two minutes right before that. When he started yeah. the when he uh, when he sprang Mbappe, well Mbappe didn't square it to him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He should have. Uh, yeah, he was, he was wide open. But, um, but the yeah, second I mean, goal was kind of a fluke. That was like it was like a pinball off the corner. Yeah. But yeah, the first goal it was, was a good was, corner though, and it was a good corner from Neymar. Yeah, 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 yeah. Fair. 
Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, look, uh, are you on the, uh, are, are you, are you at only out or, or are you still in on, on, uh, yeah. I'm in, man. I'm in. Yeah. I'm, I'm okay. all the way in because I'm tired of this shit where United keep firing the manager. I'm that. That's the one thing I'm sick and tired of. Like it's it's not it's not the manager. I know Ole. Okay, but bro, take not taking out Fred is it's a, no. on the manager. If, if someone headbutts someone in the first half and he's already he's lucky to just have a yellow, you should take him off, man. No, I, so this is the thing. Ole is not like a championship level manager. Like I've made this comparison before. I see him as almost the Dwayne Casey type. Oh, that's tough. And like he'll be good for the culture. He'll be good for where the the level that United is right now. Mm. But uh I don't want to see a new manager until there's a football director in place. Until Ed Woodward is taken off making uh United's football decisions, it does not matter who the manager is. Because Van Gaal has been here and has not been able to uh, do exactly what he wants. Mourinho has been here and has not been able to do what he wants. Mm-hmm. And you see the difference now when he's at a club that uh, that gets him the Bro. players that he wants. So it's not it's, it's not about the manager. I fully agree. Ole is not a championship-level manager. But at this point, I'm tired of seeing managers out. The next change has to be about Woodward. And Matt Judge, and they they need someone that's that, that's a football person making football decisions. So you can listen All to right. more of that on Red Couch Manks. We don't need we don't need to do that here. Um, you'll be you'll be on the pod soon because I think Liverpool is coming up soon. Um, within well, the next, I'm, month, I'm, ha- I'm I'm happy to come on to talk about uh, Nathaniel Phillips or uh, Reese Williams <laughs> or whoever the hell, bro. Like that, those roster is getting thin, man. Listen, when even <laughs> even James Milner has muscle injuries, then the, you know something's wrong, man. I don't know what's going on at Liverpool, but uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know how they're top of the table with the amount of injuries they have, but uh, mentality monsters. You know, that's what separates uh, our, our clubs right now is the mentality. Yeah, yeah, mentality giants. Mentality giants, man. No, but seriously though, like it, mentality I, I will do heads. <laughs> no, that's, that's, that's exactly that's that's exactly it, man. Yo, you can't be talking about heads when you got Harry Maguire on your team, right? <laughs> uh, yeah, no, it's seriously, I, I, I was expecting. I was, I was. I'm not gonna lie. I was a little disappointed. I thought you'd be more angry um, after the PSG uh, loss. Yeah, maybe in the, maybe in the fashion because I, I just saw a lot of United fans melt, melting down. I was expecting like a, a troops performance, but uh, now you came through with the the rational take uh, on 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 the um, on your pod, and so you know, yeah, man, that's 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 how we 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 just try to keep it one hundred on there, man. Like I know there's always going to be crazy reactions after, mm-hmm. but we try. Yo, we, honestly, we try to keep no, it straight. No, no sport is more reactionary than than, than football, man. It's true. It's so dramatic. Everyone is like fifty five percent more dramatic than necessary. You think like basketball is like reactionary? Like yo, <laughs> it's nasty game to game. Yeah. So no, actually, that's the thing, right? Like you need that one game to fuel content for like an entire week. Yeah. So people are just mad all week. Yeah. Like I'm mad all week about the fact that you know a soft penalty was given, so that you know Liverpool drop points. Like it's just <laughs> yeah. Ban VAR, baby. No, no more VAR pool, man. The beautiful replay. Oh God. Yeah. What, what are your thoughts on VAR at this point? I think in England is just used like absolutely the wrong way. That's the thing. I think yeah. 
because like, VAR, if used correctly, yeah. will be really good. It's just to me, the VAR is always going to be a def- a direct reflection of the rules in place. Yeah, fair enough. And so, once you actually fix the rules properly, then I think VAR will be good. Yeah, because honestly, like if 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 that last uh, the match that the you know the PSG United match was being played in in, in England under EPL rules, like they would be drawing the making the AutoCAD drawing on Marquinhos on the second <laughs> goal and being like, oh no, he, his uh, his shoelace uh, was uh, two millimeters offside, yeah. so no goal. You know what I mean? Or oh man, his his actually his shoulder was offside when he scored with his foot. That is the like, worst. I'm like, bro, what is what are we what are we doing, man? Like, yeah. what, what are we doing? And I, I think it's really for me is just like, I, I understand. I, I I do want the VAR as well. I think I want it to be applied correctly, but at the same time, like the the punishment needs to fit the crime. Like even something like um, what happened last week weekend with with Liverpool is like, like Welbeck didn't even have control of the ball. And like it's like a light scrape on the bottom of the, you know, on your cleats. Like that's he doesn't even have the ball. Like there's there's it's not like the chance that was prevented was proportional to the chance that you would get from scoring a penalty. So that has to just come into to play at some point. But I don't know. Maybe I'm salty because Liverpool has been just absolutely screwed by VAR all season. No, I think so. For me, the one thing I've been thinking about is just like, why can't you, you give an indirect penalty, uh, indirect free kick? Can we do that at least? Well, so so here's my thing. I think when the rule is stating clear and obvious, clear and obvious, I think you need to sort of take away looking at it every time. Mm-hmm. I think you need to let the lines people and the referee just make their calls and give each team two challenges per match. And if they challenge, then it has to be clear and obvious so like if that attacking player's foot is like you know you know six inches ahead that that's not going to be enough like you literally like the attacking player will literally have to be clear of the defender yeah and then it's okay then you overrule but i don't want to see any of these 50 50 calls get changed and it's that's the thing it's not even 50 50 right now it's like 199 like it's one centimeter to 99 that's getting overruled so it's crazy yeah you're telling me man i'm still i'm so heated about uh the everton match quite honestly man but uh yeah i mean i am too i'm a dutch fan so i'm uh, bro yeah he's out of the euros it's killing me it's killing me yeah don't worry you guys got uh you know dutch messi Jorginho Wijnaldum, every time he goes to play for, uh, for Holland, it's <laughs> like unbelievable, bro. I don't understand. Yeah, and then, it's crazy. But uh, yeah, anyway, that's uh, that's that's probably more uh, soccer talk than usual. But, you know, I always got to have that. When you come on that versatility, I can't wait for you to take that to uh, CBC, you know, apply that. Um, really looking forward to uh, your Olympic content. And again, man, really well-deserved throw Thanks, for man. you. And um, yeah, man, listen, we got Raptors preseason basketball like very, very soon um in like less than 10 days so it's crazy are you are you hyped for uh raptors um raptors hornets that might be the first game the raptors have on national tv because i believe that's Lamelo's uh debut oh man yeah i mean i'm i'm hyped for basketball in general just to see these guys again that mm-hmm. you know the last the last taste uh of the team we had was that game seven defeat so the quicker quicker we can get that out the system 
the better. Yeah. Are you if you're going to start a propaganda train for for uh, or campaign for one player in the Raptors? Who are you starting for right now? Propaganda train. I'm going to start it for Aaron Baines because okay, okay, all right. Because we're gonna t- we're gonna yo. I'm telling you, man, the Zoom chat is coming where I'm gonna talk about India's playing Australia right now. So I'm gonna ask him some cricket questions, and the whole oh. the whole chat is gonna be like, yo, what is happening? JQ <laughs> is gonna be stressed. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I would be stressed too, man. I'll be, I'll be, I'll be very pressed if you if you end up talking to him about um, test cricket, man. <laughs> good times, man. Good times. Yeah, but yeah. All Baines, right. Well, I, I think I think he, he's going to take Nurse's words to heart, man. He's going to pop like six threes a game. Yeah. Yeah. Something so, like I, that. Okay. I mean, he, he was man. at four last season, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, that yeah. was a career high for him, though, though. Yeah, yeah, no. Like, he's, it's not like he's, he's been shooting, shooting threes this whole time, man. He's just started shooting threes, so. Yeah, but yeah. hey, it's I'm I'm telling you, it, I I'll take. Okay, five and a half over under would be tough. I'd say if, if four and a half, I'll take the over. Okay, that's that's still pretty good, man. Listen, I, I remember when we were uh, we were on this pod during the offseason when um you know Marcus all like got a haircut and and wore black. <laughs> and we got really excited <laughs> that uh, we were getting prime Pau Gasol uh, scoring wise, and we were just saying like, look, listen, all things aside, like, can Mark just shoot five threes a game? Just you're you're open like fifteen times a game. Can you just shoot five of those? Yeah. And hopefully Baines will do that. But but by the way, when you watch Baines shoot the three, he looks real awkward when he does it. Yeah, it but works. it goes in. I don't know. It's money, but yeah, he looks real awkward because he's works, like man. leaning in. His his upper body is real stiff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I don't know how it goes in. So, all right, you're you're standing for Aaron Baines. I'm standing Chris Boucher. It's uh, it's going to be an exciting season. So, V, thanks for coming on, man. I appreciate everything that you do. I Always for you once again. And uh, anything you want to plug? Anything you want to leave the listeners with? Uh, Red Couch mean, Banks. Yeah, man. Go check out Red Couch Banks if you haven't already. It's available wherever you get your podcasts. And for people who might get confused, it's M A N C S. Red Couch Manx. And yeah, my buddy Carl and I, we break down every Manchester United match. So if you're into soccer, if you're into Manchester United at all, be sure to check it out. Yeah, there you go. So, uh, listeners, thanks for listening. And uh, I'll be back with a pod probably on the weekend. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.